Did you know your daily routine could be the key to your next vacation getaway? NerdWallet helps you compare travel and cashback cards to turn your everyday purchases into your next unforgettable getaway experience. Traveling doesn't have to be expensive, and daily expenses don't have to get in the way of your next escape. Imagine purchasing food and earning points towards a free hotel room, or earning points toward a flight by simply buying gas. Regardless of your financial situation, the NerdWallet team will help you make sense of your options at nerdwallet.com. Get expert information from an award-winning team of nerds to make even the most complicated money questions and topics easy to understand. NerdWallet's dedicated team will offer the tips you need to get that vacation you've been waiting for without breaking the bank. NerdWallet offers everything you need to make sound financial decisions while costing you absolutely nothing. Find the smartest financial products for you on nerdwallet.com or in app stores by downloading the NerdWallet app. Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to Fear It Goes. Today we have a very special guest with us. He's coming all the way from Vietnam. I know, right? Hello, quarantine. Gotta love it. Gotta love Zoom. Gotta love all the wonderful platforms we have available to us to be able to speak to anybody around the world. And today, our guest is Mad Singers. He is an absolute expert in his space, I cannot tell you how excited I am to share. He is a management consultant. And what that means is he comes in and he teaches managers and how to be really, really great leaders. And he's got more than 10 years under his belt. He's worked with companies like IBM and Xerox. He has spoken on international stages for many large events, such as CMSEO, TICON, DCBKK, and many, many more SEO, spring training, and the Survive and Thrive e-commerce summit. Heck yeah. I'm telling you, you're in for a treat because today we're talking about profiling. We're talking about methodologies that really let you understand how people work. And once you get it, you can communicate with anyone. So strap in, babies, because you're in for a heck of a ride. Welcome, Mads Singers. Welcome to Fear It Goes, the podcast all about taking your fears with you and doing it anyway. I'm your host, Randy Taylor. Worked corporate for many, many years, uh, done a lot of both large scale and small scale outsourcing. So like thousands of people at a time and five people at a time and that kind of thing. And I've, I mean, my primary profession really is management coaching, right? So really helping business owners actually manage people, right? So most people nowadays, they start a business, but, you know, they don't have the experience of management. And that's really where I come in a lot of the time. Do you find there's a lot of difference today between management and leadership and how people approach, approach the way they're managing people or the way that they are leading people? Yeah, there is. Um, I think fundamentally, a lot of people separate those two, leadership mm-hmm. and management, a lot. Really, I think I, I, I think you can't do one effectively without doing the other, right? Uh, so for me, they kind of flow together quite a bit. 
Um, I, I think the way people do it today is very different, mostly because the business environment is very different today. Like if you look at the age of an average business owner today, mm-hmm. it is way lower than it used to be because it becomes so much easier to start a business. Right. Like, you know, 20 years ago, you needed 200 grand in the bank to be able to start a business in most cases. Right. Right. Whereas today you need five minutes and a credit card <laughs> and you can start a business. Um, now, that, that, I'm not talking about success right here. I'm just talking about actually starting a business and, yeah. you know, being able to charge people money is, is just so much easier today that it, it, it just it have enabled a different breed of people to be able to start a business, right? So before, like people who would start a business were generally people who were uh, sensible enough to actually save up a bunch of money and so on. And that in itself require a bunch of skills, right? Um, and it was typically people who, you know, they were still high risk takers, big, big risk takers, right? But they were right. very often, uh, it, it was people that had some business background or it, they very often had some kind of business understanding, right? right? Whereas a lot of people starting businesses today, I mean, it, it could be someone sitting doing customer service in a company and now says, oh, you know, I want to work as a freelance customer service person from home. I want to start a business. And, you know, they've got a couple of clients and suddenly they're like, oh, you know, I can't handle this myself. I need someone to help me. Someone can't help me. Right. And right. that's literally how a lot of businesses develop nowadays, which, which is very, very different than how a lot of businesses used to be made 20, 20 years ago. It's interesting. I, I went to business school <laughs> and there's a lot of fundamentals that are very important when you're factoring how to run a business, how to hire people, um, how to hire the right people. <laughs> I, I actually find that really fun finding the right people um, because you have, when it comes to hiring, you have a set premise in mind for exactly what you need done and then does this person fit into this and you're laughing it's so funny because i've i've hired both ways right um and i'm i'm a really good judge of character i'm a really good judge of where you sit skill set wise what can be trained what cannot be trained very quickly within a conversation so when I hired my last, um, back when I was in finance, I hired a few assistants at that time. And the first one I, th- I thought would be um, a little bit more progressive with the way that she would learn. Because I think skills can be learned. Soft skills are a little bit, I, soft skills can be learned too, but they're harder to learn because usually soft skills are things that are developed over a very, very long period of time. So. Um, I just thought she'd pick things up quicker than she did. Whereas the second one, I asked her, can you do this, 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 and this? And then she asked me, would you like this, 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 and this done as well? I'm like, you're my love. <laughs> you are, and she was, she was absolutely fantastic at what she did. So um, having a mix of both, I think is very important. Yeah, I, I, think, I think actually what business owners go really wrong like, I, I mean, the, the number one thing I love doing is building team, putting teams together, like hiring people, making them shine and, and really 
do amazing stuff. That that is what I love doing more than anything. That's why I start way too many businesses. But I have a fun time with it, right? And when I find great people, I love giving them an opportunity, putting a business around them, and say, "Go do some great stuff," right? Um, and fundamentally, for me, there's two key aspects. Number one is you need to understand people. Uh, so I, I personally spend a significant amount of time understanding human behavior and understanding mm-hmm. personalities because what you have is you have two aspects. So you have skills, but the thing is the actually the most important thing for me is what's your natural personality. I agree. Right? So for example, if I needed someone to do some stuff in a spreadsheet, I'd love to hire you. Now, if I needed a, a search of aggressive salesperson, you probably wouldn't be first on the list. Right. Um, and how funny that those two skill sets do not go together almost ever. But, but, but that, and that, that's a good reason for that. The, the reason is that it's opposite personalities. Yes. Right. And, and the thing is, they're opposite personalities, which means they don't communicate the same way, which is right. why those people always have problems communicating. <laughs> so, for example, when you talk about salespeople and finance, they can't communicate. Right. right, because they don't speak the same language. Like they, they literally don't communicate the same way. Mm-hmm. Right, and the essence is when you hire an individual, you need to understand natural personality traits you need in that individual. You need to understand if they're people focused, if they're task focused, if they're searcher, if they're reserved. Like what, basically, because the essence of it, people always sort of sit down and say, "Oh, well, everyone can learn everything," right? Yeah, sure, you and can that's learn not, everything, but it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. Right, exactly. Right, and <laughs> and if you're good at it, like I, like I, probably ten years ago, I used to do this with kids, and our parents started hating me. But <laughs> you, you're 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 born with your natural behavior, and it do not change. Right, you can learn some things and so on, but your natural behavior you're born with, and it will not change. That means if you're like a super detail-oriented nerd who loves sitting, putting numbers into a spreadsheet. Yeah. Like that's because you're born with a mind that, that enjoys that, that kind of work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can be better at it. You can learn more about spreadsheets. But if, but the, the whole thing is it makes, means you're very logical human being. It means you make logical decisions, right? And that's the brain. Exactly. There's a whole yeah. bunch of, uh, there's basically a whole bunch of job roles that fit very well. So if you're a programmer, yeah. if you're an accountant, if you're like all of that kind of stuff, it fits into that parameter, yeah. that personality. And if you understand how to see a person's personality, and, and by the way, when you're good at this stuff, it, it takes seconds. Like I, I generally yeah. have the rule that when someone sits down next to me on an airplane, I can tell them things about themselves they don't know. That's fantastic. Right. And, but that's when you, when you, when you learn to read people's behavior, it, it is that powerful and to do great recruitment. That is for me, that have been the number one most valuable skill because okay. yeah. Okay. So I have to ask, which system do you use? Uh, so the framework I use is yep. uh, disc disc. Yep. And uh, I use that. Because it's, it's not necessarily the best or the worst, but because it can do something that all the other frameworks can't. So the thing about DISC is, DISC is based on behavior. So by literally looking at another human being for a shorter period of time, 
you can understand their personalities. Okay, right? how do you like, figure? I'm, I'm just curious yeah. because obviously you, you work within profiling. How do you figure that that is different? Like I find Myers Norris Brig, um, they break it down even more than the majority of the other systems. Like I, I liked Kobe, I thought that was pretty good. Um, Disc is good, Bank is good. Uh, there's a few others out there. There's a few others out there, but they, they basically break it into the four categories and then break down from there, right? Yeah. Myers tends to break down even more. Yeah, so the, the challenge with Myers, uh, I mean, basically Myers and Disc do the exact same thing. Okay. So basically what happens with Disc is you have four personality areas. Right. And everyone have a primary and a secondary. Right. And if you have four and you can have primary and secondary all the way around, that probably ends up with 16, which is generally the, the number of roles that Myers-Briggs does it. The, right. the big difference is that most people can't handle 16 personality profiles in their head. Right. Whereas handling four is, is significantly easier. Now, the, 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 the great thing about DISC and the way it's built up is it's basically built to read people's personality. Hmm. Right. So it's, based on behavior. So it's very simple things. Like if you hear the volume of a person's voice, that'll tell you about 50% of what you need to know. Yes, right. <laughs> if, if you see the amount of smiling a human being does, like literally those two things alone is often enough to, to just put the person in the right spot in terms of disc. Right. I could see two that way. Yes. How, you can see four from smiling. Because I could see two. I could see two profiles from that really quickly. Oh, so, so basically, I mean, fundamental with this, when, right. you, when you split it into four, right? Yep. Basically, you have the, the top is assertive and the bottom is reserved. So basically, the volume of your voice 100% yep. determines how assertive a human being you are. So Correct. if you're below average, you're basically reserved. And if you're above average, you're, you're assertive, right? So that's the volume of voice. Yep. Uh, the, the amount of natural smiling you do is basically the other curve, so right, left. So oh. the le if you smile less than average, you're basically left-sided. If you smile more than average, you're basically right-sided. So those two pieces of information will tell basically you tell you the primary personality of a person with DISC. Now, sometimes some of those, cool. like for, for example, if you're sitting on a, on a audio call, on a Zoom call or something, sometimes volume of voice can be difficult because, you know, the microphones and, and volumes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes smiling, if you're meeting a human being and you're talking to them, a lot of people naturally smile a little bit more when they're engaging in the interaction with someone new for the first time. Right. But uh, again, you have to take those things into account. But, and basically that's only two behaviors. Like you, you have a whole list of stuff you can look at, right? But, of course. but but those two behaviors alone can tell you so much. And the way DISC is built up to basically just look at a few behaviors and that way you, you instantly see stuff, right? And I mean, it's a little bit difficult in the beginning, but as soon as you get used to look at behaviors, like yep. I don't even notice anymore. Like when someone sit down next to me, I, I just like start telling them stuff about themselves. And <laughs> I, I actually, I haven't even thought of why I think that. Like I don't think about it anymore. It just happens subconsciously. But, and that's how it is. Like when I'm interviewing people, I know if they're bullshitting me. Because if you ask them the weakness question, say, oh yeah, you know, my biggest problem is I'm a perfectionist. And I'm like, nope, you are absolutely in no way she can a perfectionist. No, but. <laughs> yeah, totally gotcha. 
Um, but but yeah, I mean that. Uh, so for, for for me, putting the right people in the right roles. Like sometimes in business, you have the right person, but in the wrong job. Absolutely, and, and the problem it happens is, all the time. And if the problem is for most businesses, they can't afford to put that person in another job because they don't just have lots of cash lying around to have more right. people. So the problem is if you hire the right person, that's a great person, but they don't have the natural uh, sort of personality for that job, you fail, right? right? And, and every single time you hire someone that doesn't work out, that's your fault, right? It's not bad people. It's not whatever. Yeah. When you hire people that do not work out, you either hired the wrong person or you haven't managed them well, right? right? It only falls back on you. So as a business owner, like when I, when I recruit, when I recruit the wrong people, that is 100% my fault. Now you, you can argue a lot that, you know, oh, well, this person should have done this and they should have done that and so on. The point about the interview process is you figuring out, is this the wrong, is this the right person? If they can do this right. or not. Yeah. It's now, funny. occasionally stuff happens, right? Like occasionally, you know, you hire a great person and, you know, two days later they get divorced and get a mental breakdown and you didn't <laughs> expect it, right? Like, no, but that can happen, Yes, right? yes, absolutely. Life happens. Yeah. It's interesting the way that you approach. I think all HRs should be well prepared with profiling and they are not. They're not. And often um, a friend of mine was an HR manager and we talked a lot about people in positions and how they get hired wrong often and then to be able to place them in the right role hr doesn't always have that option but in bigger companies they actually more often than not do have the ability to move people around into something that's more fitting but but it's not weirdly enough it's not a skill set that all hr have either so two key things with that so so i've worked in big organizations like Xerox and ibm and one of the big problems i see is Again, you have two people, you have the wrong person, wrong job, <laughs> and you have the right person, wrong job. Right. The problem is if someone get the wrong person and in the wrong job, the problem is most people want to push that responsibility elsewhere. And they're like, yeah, it's a great person. You take him over there so I don't have to deal with it. Right? So one of the big problems with this ability to move people around is the integrity of managers who actually have the balls or whatever you call it to act. <laughs> no, but, but, but you have to like, as a manager, you have to have the integrity of saying I fucked up. I hired the wrong person. Right. Or say I hired the right person, but you know, I put them in the wrong role. I have this great person. Do you want to give them a try kind of thing? Right. Like, because most managers, honestly, what I've seen, they just keep pushing problems away. They take the worst performers who just suck at every level and they try and move them elsewhere. Right. right. And then, then rotation doesn't work. Well, and people are, I mean, um, growth doesn't happen either. And that's not beneficial to anybody. Right. That person no. wants to get better. They want to excel in what they're doing. My, my favorite quote is no one ever walks into a job to do a bad job. Like I no one totally ever wakes agree. up in the morning and say, I want to go do a bad job today. You know, this is interesting because this also touches a lot on corporate culture and because I believe good leadership helps people grow. It advances our skill sets, but it gives us drive and motivation in what we do or squashes it. And it's very interesting. I was looking at a company here. A friend of mine is management there. It's a very large company in Canada and the U.S., 
and they have a massive corporate culture problem. Like, oh, I've, I've never even heard of things going on in a company like what's going on in this company. <laughs> and he was saying, he's like, you need to come in and you need to help with this. This is terrible. And I, I don't even know. There's a few questions that came up to me. One, you have to know the mandate of not just upper management, but CEO, what are they driving? They may want to break this apart. They may want old, stagnant, um, resistant employees out, right? They may, there, there may be tactics to this, which I originally hadn't thought of. I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. All this, this could be done and this could be done and this could be done. Yeah. And, and then that kind of came to light and I went, hmm. Huh. I don't know the mandate and you'd have to know before you even walk through that door. Right. Right. So fundamentally, again, I've, I've worked in very large organizations. Yep. I've worked with a lot of small business. I've coached probably more than 500 business owners by now. Right. The one thing I would say, the biggest issues in most organizations is down to lack of leadership and management training. I would agree. It is the single biggest issue in most businesses. And the reason is, so what happens is you have this old saying that the best sales guy doesn't make the best sales manager. And I fundamentally disagree. Now, if someone have the skill set to teach themselves to be an amazing engineer, an amazing accountant, or an amazing salesperson, right. they can learn the skill set of being an amazing manager. However, if you think because they're a great salesperson, they will instantaneously be a great manager, then you're mistaken. Right. And that is what most people expect, right? And that is where they go wrong. You mean when people get promoted into positions with no support for development? <laughs> yes. No, particularly, like when you're first in management, the jumps are actually smaller. The biggest jump is when the mindset change it takes to go from being an individual contributor and it's all about you yeah. moving into a management role where you don't matter. Where it's that, all about the vision. Well, it's all forward. about, it's all about the team. Like yeah. the thing is you can be doing the best possible job. Like you could do everything you're supposed to do the perfect way. But at the end of the day, if the result is not there, the result is not there. The team that delivered it, it didn't matter what you do have been doing. Right. So fundamentally that mindset change along with the training and understanding, because again, I, I, I have developed every kind of personality I've ever met into a leader, every personality. I literally don't believe there's people on this planet who could not learn to become leaders. Not That's everyone's beautiful. interested in it. No, right. but not everyone's interested in it. Right. But I believe that any personality can learn it because I've, I have literally worked with every personality and taught them to be a leader. Now, the fundamental is, it's about training, right? Every leader, and, and one of the big issues is that a lot of people, they look at like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, and they're like, oh, to be a good leader, you need to be an asshole, you need to work 27 hours a day, you need no, to you do don't. all this, and, and you don't, right? The fundamental of leadership is you need to understand your own strengths and weaknesses, and you need to understand where you add value as a leader, where you stand out, yeah. right? And any different, any, any individual leader 
have certain strengths and certain weaknesses. Now, for different personalities, there are different strengths and different weaknesses. But you can be a good leader with any kind of personality. You can be a nerdy programmer. You can be an aggressive sales guy. You can learn to lead really, really well. Don't you think that, I, I think that pairing up with your strength, someone else's strength that's not yours, pairing these strengths together and and not looking at everybody's weakness as something that needs to be built up to the nth degree. Work with people's strengths. So if I'm a visionary, details and, and deep dive data, it, like, honestly, please shoot me. <laughs> and I was in finance. And this is why I had an assistant. My assistant was excellent with details and she was my right arm. She was she filled in where my weakness was. I knew that when I hired her, I knew what I was hiring. I know where I'm good. And why would I need to focus on all these things I'm shitty at to become mediocre at them instead of excel exactly. at what I'm really exceptional at? And, and that is exactly the lesson you need to learn. So I, I tend to say it a little bit different, right? No one have ever been hired for a role because they suck at nothing. They're always hired for a role because they're really good at something. Yes. If you want to be successful in life, yep. it's about being really freaking good at something. And the problem is if you spend an hour developing something you're weak at, you'll improve like 2% or whatever. Right. If you spend an hour developing something you're great at and naturally have a tendency to be good at, you'll and develop you 20%. Exactly. And you will enjoy it. And you enjoy right? That's a, that's a big key here too, though. I mean, doing stuff that I, I'm really shitty at, I don't like it. Exactly. I don't like it. I fight it. I, you know, so if I'm trying to accelerate that skill set, it's going to take me forever. But if it, I'm doing something I enjoy and that I love doing, I become exceptional. And, and that, that is one of the biggest development mistakes there is because, and I think that's a human nature thing. Like every time people tell you you're bad at something, I think it's a natural human reaction to think, oh, how can I fix that? Right? <laughs> but really, if you want to be, be really happy, you, you really want to work with your strength. And just to your point earlier, two people that are polar opposites in principle work well together. The problem is they generally don't communicate the same way, which, will, which often means that they are not necessarily very effective. So the, the thing is when, when you look, so I've worked with a lot of sort of business owners that have been sort of a couple of business owners yep. and the most successful ones is always the ones that overlap in one way or another, yep. right? Like they, they have some kind of overlap where, you know, that helps them communicate well together, but they have different strengths and weaknesses, but they're, yes. they are, they're but not they, that different, right? I find that commu communication is the, biggest key to any success period with relationships of all kinds. And it doesn't matter whether it's a business relationship or a personal relationship or a romantic relationship or a relationship with your kids. Communication is key. And I think that that's one skill set that no matter what you should learn, <laughs> you should have fundamentals and foundations for communication period. Communication is the single most frequent behavior that we be be engage in as human beings. Yes. Right. It is, it is the single skill that I advise every single client I work with to improve. Yep. Because it and is I've, essential for life. 
I, I have two fundamental ways of doing it. Number one, most important, is DISC. Again, get to understand how you right. communicate, how others communicate, and how you are effective with them, right? It, you just said something. Okay, so understand how they communicate. This is, this is a very, very important key here. The way people communicate isn't the way you communicate. And expressing whatever ideas or um, pushing forward an incentive or whatever you're doing can't come from the way you communicate. You have to understand how others communicate and take in their data. So like, it's funny that you're saying, like, understand how others communicate, understand how others communicate. Because if I talk to you the way I expect to be spoken to, I won't, I will never be able to resonate with you ever if you speak from a different space. The, the, the most important lesson I ever learned with communication is that communication is what the listener, right? communication is not what I say. Yeah. It's what the other person or the other people hear. Hear, feel, yes. Right. That is communication. So again, you could have said all the right things technically all the right things <laughs> but if that's not what people have heard or if that's not how they have felt it then it doesn't matter that's right, right. Um, and the essence when it comes from the communication like so i have an example so for example some people write mega long emails like some some people every time you get an email from them it's two <laughs> a four pages long and then right? another one it's two lines <laughs> Uh, usually for the same person, they would usually be, right. right. Now, if, if someone sent you a four-page email and you sent them a one-line reply, how do you think they would feel? I so know that. Right. <laughs> now, the same thing, right? Some people cannot read emails. And, right. and this triggers a lot of people. I have fundamentally, right now, I have two people Every time I send an important message out to my management team, mm -hmm. I grab the phone or I grab Zoom, I call them up and I talk to them in person and tell them exactly what that email says. Because I know that they're either not going to read it or even if they read it, they won't understand it. Okay, so those people that you're referring to are not detail-oriented people. They're Correct. a quick skim through. And I have to admit, so at times... Um, when you're inundated with a lot of data, because some roles are just laden with data. Mm -hmm. Finance was one of those roles, right? So when I was in that, there was a lot of information coming at me all the time. And sometimes you just miss things in emails because yeah. I could be that person to just quickly skim through that email because it's four pages long. Right? Yeah. And when you're getting too much of that, it's very, for me, it was difficult to manage that. So to be able to have a quick conversation with someone, night and day different. What an impressive idea in how you deliver the same information when it's yeah, important. So, and, and, and the key here is you need to understand the person. Yeah. Right? Because you feel that that's a right. great way to do it. A lot of people don't. Like, right. I, I have also people that are the opposite. Right? Oh, they'd rather so, read an email. <laughs> so what happens is if I do a meeting and I talk to everyone, I need to send an email afterwards with all the data and all the details because some people want that. Interesting. Well, again, so 
there are different learning styles to begin with, right? Some people are very auditory learners. Some people are very visual learners and they don't necessarily overlap. So I, I've done a few podcasts or a few uh, episodes with a woman who's a developer of a education program that's amazing. And we've talked about this and I had never put this together. I always thought I was a visual learner until I was in her office one day because my son went to her school and I'm in her office and I'm on a call and I'm pacing as we're, as I'm on this call and it's a business call. And that's, I do this a lot when I'm writing, when I'm creating, when I'm in the process and she's, she goes, Oh, you're a kinesthetic learner. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a visual learner. And she's like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You're very kinesthetic. And then it dawned on me. So when I was in university, I was a double major in bio and chem. Um, and my labs were so easy for me. So easy. I like there, there were no effort because it's very hands-on. And for some people, that's amazing. My son, he's an auditory learner. So he takes in all his data through hearing. He'd be great to listen to lectures. Whereas for me, lectures were painful and terrible. <laughs> so it's very interesting understanding how people learn so you know how to deliver important details. Yes, this is really good. <laughs> but imagine taking 30 seconds of a look at a human being and being able to tell that. Yeah. Now, the fundamental, just, just to, to tie this one back, the fundamental problem with 99% of all these personality, well, 100% of all these personality tests is that the results are ever only as good as the input. Agreed. <laughs> the problem is when you need a test, one, people often don't know themselves very well. True. And two, particularly if you're in an interview job hunting situation, people will always think, uh, tell you what they think you want to hear always right even if you tell them you're not looking for it just be themselves why yeah da, da. right again if a job role says we need someone detail-oriented and you have a personality question saying are you detail-oriented they're like well i'm going for a job that's detail-oriented nope i'm totally not detail-oriented uh, no. Right. <laughs> no human being on planet earth <laughs> would do that right uh, they don't. So, so fundamentally, the biggest issue that I have with personality tests is the most used situation is in recruitment. It makes a lot of sense to understand personality in recruitment, but the problem is so many results are just wrong. I see, right. I see a lot of people that don't understand this stuff, not hire a person because, you know, on a certain chart on a personality, it says something, right. and that's not what they're looking for. Right. But really, the person is what they're looking for. They just don't know how to read the behavior of the personality type. Right. Right. And yeah, that's. Do you think big. some. I, I, I agree with you that some people just don't know themselves. So, have you, before you got into this, before you got into profiling, would you say that you were always accurate with yourself on, on profiles that you've done consistently? I am now. I, I wasn't accurate on myself. No, 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 totally yeah. not. So, and, and here's one, and that's a very common one. So I, when I started studying management and so on, I learned that networking was really important. And I've always done a lot to push myself with networking, even though like I am a super introvert, super shy guy by nature. 
but I've always done a lot to push myself because I understood that to be effective in management, it's all about networking. Yeah. Now, what that did, so the thing is, to me, when I'm going out and I'm being networky, I am like, <laughs> I feel over the top. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm the biggest networker in the world. However, mm-hmm. if you compare me to any average, typical networker, I'm like way below out. <laughs> but for me, it felt like, you know, I'm out here. And that means in, in all the tests I did, there was two things. One was I would, was inclined to tell, to say in the test, what I wanted to be, not necessarily what I was. Right. Yep. And two, I also very much misinterpreted where I was compared to other people. And like the opposite is if, if you have people who will absolutely get dizzy when they see a spreadsheet, right? When they see a spreadsheet with 10 numbers and they're like, oh, I can't do this thing, right? If they sit and look at a spreadsheet for three weeks, they suddenly feel they're like an Excel guru, right? <laughs> and if they do a test, they'll say, yeah, I'm great at Excel, even though they couldn't even, I mean, right. and, m- and, most right. average people were better in kindergarten. Like they, they still feel at that point they're much better. Right. So again, knowing yourself and, and, and again, this is freaking phenomenal in, in, in terms of getting to know yourself and your personality. Right. But yeah, that, that's just, it's just such a big, big difference that makes. Hmm. <laughs> that's funny. I'm just thinking back to different profiles, almost every profile. Cause I, I really like to approach things with the utmost honesty because I really want to see the results. I want to, I want to see how, accurate this can be and pretty well every profile I've ever done and I've done a few and I've learned a lot I found them all to be pretty pretty much the same I'm an extrovert I could walk up to anybody and have a conversation with them (laughs) I am comfortable you're very very competitive I can be (laughs) you 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 yeah very competitive definitely you're super motivated by goals you're fairly well motivated by money um yeah i mean again simple things right it's funny that you say that because okay so motivated by money yes and no money is not has never been my driver helping people has been my driver so there's a few key factors to understand when we do look at profiling right people's underlying drive I, I always look at, it's funny that you say goals. Yes, I have a goal setting course. It's called Clarity. And it is all about how to set goals properly, not just set a smart goal. Cause I think that's step one. <laughs> smart goals are so like, I don't even think 90% of people who set smart goals actually achieve them. Like the percentages are so low in comparison to when you set a goal wisely and smart, but factoring in the deep why is all the world of difference with whether or not a goal will be achieved and understanding someone's deep why for anything is your driver. I would look at why I've always wanted to help people my whole life. I look back over all the things I've done because I've, I've sampled a lot of different careers in my life and a lot of different things. I have a lot of interests. One common consistent interest is I'm always thirsty for knowledge. I love, I love learning. I love learning. I'm a voracious learner, <laughs> but um, my underlying through all of them were how could I how could I 
influence people? How could I affect people? How could I help them expand and grow and be better and be better out in the world? Ultimately, that's my deepest why is how can I bring this to the world myself through others? How can they be better? Really, in the beginning, I thought I was going to do it through medicine. Trauma surgeon was what I was looking at. And then it was very interesting. Someone said to me the other day, you're a trauma surgeon of a different sort. You just do it differently. And I went, oh my God, that's such a fascinating and incredible insight that I hadn't seen. Because I do, I work through people's, I work through people's traumas. I work with a lot of trauma. <laughs> but that, I mean, honestly, like as a management coach, I end up, I feel I end up as a relationship coach because <laughs> particularly when, when you work with people True. in bigger companies <laughs> that have been performing and stop yep. performing. Yeah. 95% of the time, it's a problem at home. It's a problem with their brother or their parents or yes. like, it's never a problem at work. Um, so being a management no. coach, you end up being a relationship slash. Yeah. Isn't that, but isn't that the truth? It's, it's funny. Cause I've often looked at like, people are like, are you a relationship coach? I'm like, mm, all things are relationships. All things are communication. All things are relationships. When you look back over a lifetime, what are the things you value the most relationships <laughs> of all kinds? But relationships, how we communicate, how we express, how we set boundaries from a healthy space. I think boundaries are one of them. I think that's something that should be taught properly in school, how to set proper boundaries, not enforcing them through fear, but proper boundaries. And that's a respect thing. Oh, <laughs> talking about. <laughs> yeah, so it, 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 it's very it's very funny like i, I kind of want to add a little bit to that and what you said earlier so you operate amazingly well with goals however there's also people i'm not saying they shouldn't have goals but there's also people that are very 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 little motivated by goals right right like for you, it's kind of like, oh, you know what? Now I have this thing. I know I need to go get it. For some people, <laughs> a goal doesn't matter. Like right. if you take it business-wise, like I have multiple employees that I can say, you know, if you hit this goal next month, I'll double your salary. And they're like, and they okay, care. they don't give a shit, right? Because they're not motivated by goals in that way. So naturally as personality, goals works extremely well for you. They work well for people in general, if you know how to set them well, but they work extremely well for you. They work well for people who know how to set them well, because you see results. And then you're like, oh, I want that again. I want to experience that. Because when you achieve whatever, and I don't care who you are, when you hit an achievement, whether it was accidental or not, it feels good. We all want to replicate the feeling good. So when you set them, have that vision. When you have that vision, you're like, I'm almost there. Okay. Yeah. I had a setback. So what? I'm almost there. I'm almost there. It feels amazing. And all the lessons you take along the way feel incredible too. I, I agree fundamentally. So um, how do you motivate someone who is not goal-oriented? And again, I, I think that when everyone has a vision of something they can ground into, they understand and they can attach to it because they feel they're part of it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I mean, different characters generally are, are, have primary motivations of certain things, right? So um, some people, so some people are motivated primarily by eyeballs, and by, what that sorry, means what? is eyeballs, aka attention. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Some people like the typical. If you've ever known someone who, I'm taking it from a guy's perspective, but if you've ever known a guy who dress up in a pink suit and <laughs> go out. Like that is typically people who are not a lot of people would do it, but some people will. Or pink or orange yeah. or what something something bright and right. Yeah. That is generally people who thrive and are naturally motivated by attention. Right. Right. They are the people that you want to go by every day after work and say, "Hey, good work today." Whatever they're done it doesn't matter. You don't need to be specific. It's not about that. They just want to feel a pat on the back and feel like, "Oh, I did great today." Whatever. Right. They did right? You have people that are primarily motivated by other people's happiness. Yeah. And what that means is that the key thing for them is that other people around them are happy. And it's more important to them than their own happiness. Now, as, as for example, how to motivate that in a team. So uh, the example I just used with, hey, if you want to double your salary, do good next month. If mm. you do it differently, if you say, if the team hit this goal next month, yep. everyone will double their salary. If we don't, no one will get anything. I can promise you one thing. They don't want to let the team down. down. They do not want to be the reason why the team doesn't get that. It's funny because I look at roles. So you're, t- you're talking people pleaser here. You're talking rock star here. You're talking, you're talking personality roles. All of this stuff kind of plays into the same thing. But recognizing people pleasers will always do things for others. Always, always put themselves last. Rock stars are the ones out in front. Rah, look at me. <laughs> yes. Here's a challenge. Take a people pleaser. Yep. Put them in stage in front of a hundred people in your company or in a conference or something. Yep. And see them leave that job. They do not want that attention, that attention on them. Yeah. Right. Again, if you don't know how to motivate people, if you're motivated by eyeballs and you pull a, a in your terms a people pleaser up on stage in front of hundreds of people, mm-hmm. there's no better way to get a resignation from. Something interesting too, though, wouldn't it also be around public speaking? Public speaking is an interesting equation. Mm-hmm. But with a people pleaser, it's framing too. So if, let's say, I have a presentation, I'm a people pleaser, I don't like getting in front of people, um, I don't want that attention, but I know what I'm delivering is really important and valuable to the people in that audience. Can I put them first? Can I take myself out of the equation? So there's a big difference between standing on the audience and sharing information and Mm -hmm. standing in front of an audience, getting an award for something. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But you just said, if you stand in front, right. Right? So you could take people who are not necessarily about the attention. Yeah. And because it's funny, as much as I'm outgoing and I, I can walk into a room and meet people and whatever, 
I also don't like the attention. <laughs> I, I struggle with that sometimes. So when I speak on stages, before I get on a stage, my very first thoughts to myself, I kind of go through my little preparation mentally, are how can I deliver the best, how can I deliver this in the best way for them? Because it's not about me, it's about them. So I always put it in a position within my own, my own mindset, how can I do this for them? What am I bringing to them? What am I bringing to the table? Because if I make it about me, I panic and I freak out. <laughs> and I've spoken in some pretty big rooms with pretty big audiences. And I will tell you, the one time I did this in finance, and this was a big lesson for me. The one time I did this in finance where all I could think about was the deep dive data that I was, that I was presenting, I was uncomfortable with. I hadn't written it. It didn't have a personal connection. I couldn't relate it to them as much as I was to my panic. And I, I struggled through that presentation. It was the worst one I've ever done, ever to date. <laughs> I went through an hour long presentation in less than 40 minutes. <laughs> and I did not bring the value. Well, I did, I delivered the information but that's really what it felt like. I delivered information. Instead of I connected with that audience, I gave them what they needed. I allowed them to really draw what, what they could from that experience. I couldn't do it in that presentation because it was very misaligned. So one of the challenges that you have a little bit is you, you can definitely jump into things, Yep. but you like knowing what you're doing. I really do. <laughs> right. So if you're like, for example, if, like you wouldn't just walk into some random accounting firm, sit down and start tapping away. Like you're like, okay, you know, what's your process? How do you do it? What's the, like you, you want to get the understanding first, mm -hmm. right? Um, where, you know, some people would literally just, as you said, like the employee you, you used as an example, some people would just say, yep, I'll go do that. Anything else you want kind of thing. Yep. Right. And they'll just go do something. They don't like, if they make a mistake, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. I'll fix it. Right. That's not a problem but you are much more, you wanna, you wanna understand what you're doing first. And that's also, so your thirst for learning comes from that same aspect. So you love learning because you love getting the theory before you execute, right? For me, that's preparation. Right, uh, but, yeah. but, but that's, like, that's how you work as an individual. So if someone throws you in, if you have never done I don't know, graphic design, and someone throws you in and say, do graphic design. You're like, oh, you, you can't do it, right? Because you need that preparation. You need that. You need the logic of what you're doing is the most important to make you comfortable. And it helps you. you. When you get it, you're so much more stable and you're so much better than most other people. But you need that learning to understand the basics first. It's funny because, okay, so I... When I was in finance, originally I started in the insurance world and sales. Mm -hmm. Again, outgoing person, have lots and lots of the characteristics of a good salesperson. If you throw me into sales with just go out and do it, come on, you, you know, I'm just going to throw you to the wolves. I panic and shut down. Yeah. I, like I literally cannot do that. I panic, shut down and want to tell you to go take a flying leap off a bridge. But when you know the product, <laughs> then I'm great. 
<laughs> then I'm great. Then I'm great. I was in an advanced team actually when um, when I moved further into finance. I I got into advanced teams because I really liked the details, even though I'm not a I'm detail oriented, but in a different way. You are very detail oriented. Much more than you give yourself credit for. It's kind of funny. But then it, when it comes to certain details, I'm like, oh my God, it's like poking my eyes out again. Yep. So I, and finance. That's because you, you love details about things you care about. Yes. <laughs> no, but no, but the thing is, if people come and tell you details about a weekend trip that you don't really care about, right. you don't like, it doesn't, you're like, whatever. Right. But if, if people are talking about something that's your expertise, like if, if someone comes on your podcast and talk about something that really resonates with you, mm -hmm. you care about the details. You listen to every word they say, and you really, really care about those details, <laughs> right? Very so it's not, it, it's not the fact that you're not detail-oriented. You are you're very, very detail-oriented. But the thing is, you are, you are detail-oriented with the things that you really care about. So Selective. if it's business, yeah. Exactly. Do you find a lot of people are like that? This cannot be a, this cannot be a unique trait. <laughs> no, don't worry. One of the key things that killed me when I learned about behaviors was the fact that I've always been told that people are unique. And the thing is, when you learn that people are not, then they're not. You're kind of like, that means I'm not unique. Shit, life sucks. I'm just like everyone else. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I no, learned about but... roles, you there's 10 main roles. When you learn about profiling, there's very specific um, characteristics. But when I was learning those, it's, it's interesting because you learn like there are key components, obviously, with profiling or with um, with role work or whatever. I mean, when you're working in psychology, you deal with roles, but there's significant ones that play out. And if you recognize your own, it becomes really, really profound how quickly you can recognize someone else's. Like if you know it, you know it. So when I did role work, I was like, oh my God, these are my significant roles. This is how they play out in very beneficial ways and this is how they play out in very I don't like to say destructive ways but they can absolutely just go to the other side of the spectrum and yeah. and then you recognize this in others and you're like wow you're in this oh wow you're in this oh and there's a lot of forgiveness I find and a lot of um, a lot more patience and understanding with other people and the way that they behave when you recognize roles or when you recognize their their profile why they're acting the way they do. Exactly. One of my biggest aha moments with this thing was a lot of times in life when I was younger, you know, I would look at someone and say, why would a human being ever do that? <laughs> People do this all the time now. Why would they do that? Right. And the thing is, when you learn to understand how other people think, you start to understand why someone would do something that makes zero sense to you. Right. So if we, if we just take a sort of split it up, let, let's take an example. We're, you and me are going to a restaurant. And let's say for argument's sake that you're very logical and I'm very emotional. Now, if I'm very emotional, I'll think as, you know, what's the atmosphere in the place? What, what will the food look like when it's on the plate? Uh, you know, will it make a good Instagram photo? <laughs> 
whatever. <laughs> like I will think about all those emotional things. Now your your natural is you're very logical, so you'll think: Is it close? Is it affordable? Is there right. stuff that we both like? So you'll think all the logical thoughts around it, right? right. Which is your nature. Um, now the thing is, if you can't, if you don't comprehend how other people think. Like if someone emotional would say, oh yeah, we want to go to that place that takes a four hour drive. You're like, why the hell would you pick a place that's four hour drive away when we have like 20 good restaurants nearby? If you don't understand where they're coming from to make that choice, then, and, and this is just an example of a choice, right? But if you yes. don't understand how they think and come to a choice like that, if you don't understand other people and how they think, as a manager, as a business owner, you will never be, you will never be that good, right? But if you can learn to really understand how different types of people think and how they actually carry out that thinking, it makes such a huge difference. It's funny that you said aha moments. I, that's what I found when I learned roles. I'd done profiling before and I'd learned a lot about profiling, but for some reason it didn't click with me the way roles did. And when I learned roles, everything became aha. I literally could spot roles all over the place. And I'm like, oh my God, you're in this. And the interesting thing with roles is, or personality traits, is that there's, you're not conscious of the way you're behaving. So when you look at psychology, 90 to 95% of of your actions are subconscious by the time you're 30. They're all based on the belief systems that we've created from the time we're in development, right? Up until about this time we're oh. seven, right? So we, we've taken these original meanings, whatever they may be, and now they're carried forward and they're subconscious and you don't know they're playing out. And so you act certain ways with people and you have no idea why you did that. And afterwards you question yourself, why did I do that? Why did I say that? How come I didn't say this? Or I should have said that, or I should have done this, but then I didn't. And it's interesting when it comes into the dynamic of a workspace, people not recognizing why they're doing things or who they are and why. So how would you take a person who is oblivious to these facts and how would you enlighten them? How, how would you help them? Because in a, I, I would imagine that this would be extremely helpful, not only from a management perspective, but, eas but easily from a team perspective too, understanding, you know, these are some of the dynamics inside this group. And this so, is how so we can strengthen this group. My, my fundamental pet peeve is that a lot of big corporations uh, go around and do training these behavioral things. Uh -huh. And literally what they do is they give people a test and they stand and yap a little bit. But no one ever teach people how it works. Right. Right. Yeah. And literally when I do it, it usually takes me about an hour and a half, two hours or so uh, in a workshop format with people. And they get it. Right. right? It, it is takes practice to get good at it but in an hour and a half two hours you can get enough to become good right and i've i've actually built like it's part of my i have a whole management system management training right and it's it's a big it's a big part of that but but fundamentally it's it's not that difficult right 
So when we were talking about relationships before yep. and, and interesting issues that come into play from personal life and whatever, the relationships we carry at work often reflect what's going on in the rest of our life too, though, <laughs> right? We, we tend to have these similar behaviors that carry out in multiple ways with multiple scenarios consistently. Yeah, so one, one of the funny things is sometimes when we're kids, we have friends that are a little different from us because they were the neighbor and we just hang out with them even though we're not the same. But right. the friends that you have in work generally communicate very similar to how you do. That there's this notion that I'm sure you heard, which is opposites attract. <laughs> Similarities attract. <laughs> right. The right. thing is, opposites are very visible. What happens is if you see a two meter tall dude and a one and a half meter short woman, mm -hmm. that is very visible. And people are like, oh yeah, opposites attract. Mm -hmm. But they don't notice the 99 other regular couples walking by, right? So one of the key things for me with relationship, both friendship, romantic, all that kind of stuff, is you want someone that communicates similarly to you. Right. Or that has that crossover. Yeah, like you, you yeah. need that crossover. So you need yeah. someone that you can communicate effectively with. I have had a fair chunk of relationships in my life. And so my problem is I love behavior so much that I want to challenge myself. <laughs> that's not a good thing. That's not why relationships <laughs> exist, I can tell you. Um, but, but fundamentally, you want to find someone that cross over with you somehow, right? Because you're looking for people. Sometimes if they're a little different than you, that's great. But also people that are exactly like you are generally great life partners, right? But when you hear the saying opposites attract, run. I, I would tend to, to agree. Opposites are interesting. Right. But unless there is that, I, I look at everything from relationships and communication, everything. You can communicate or you can't. And a good communicator is worth its weight in gold. Someone who is adaptable and knows, okay, so you're not communicating in this way. I can change and try this. And that is a skill set that is, honestly, I think it's inherent. Great leaders, um, great leaders have this ability to be able to adapt the way that they deliver information, the way that they communicate. When I was saying in a dynamic of a group who understands relationships or corrects some of the relationships or understands the dynamics of, you know, this person thinks this way, this person thinks this way, these behaviors are here because of, um, there's a lot of one forgiveness, but it flows out into every other relationship you have. So once you have a clear understanding of personality dynamics, I guess, or communication styles, or all of these things flow together, it, it literally shows up in the rest of your life. Like I, I, so often it's funny that you say, you know, I become a relationship coach, but we are, I think all coaches are relationship coaches. <laughs> all coaches are life coaches. All coaches can be business coaches. Well, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of them, no. <laughs> there's a lot of overlap though. Yeah. You know, 
there's a lot of overlap in different areas when it comes to coaching because it's it's the ability to be able to connect people to who they are that allows them to excel in anything. So I think you can excel in business. I think you can excel in your life. You can excel in relationships. You can excel in health when you connect yourself to one, who you really are, right? Understanding who you really truly are, why you work the way you work, and then, and then how you can deliver that in the most productive, efficient, amazing ways. And with your team, stop trying to create something they're not. Don't make them into someone they're not. People will never fit into a mold that they aren't. I, I love that expression, stop sticking round pegs in square holes or whatever. <laughs> Wait a minute, that came out wrong. <laughs> square pegs, round holes. Um, but often, this is what we do. We try and make someone fit into something they're not. And then you have conflict and you wonder why there's conflict. I, no. <laughs> I never wonder why there's conflict. <laughs> but lots of people wonder why there's conflict. Right. They wonder right. why there's conflict. Why aren't you just doing this? Because that's not who that person is at all. And it's not in their nature to be that. The definition of conflict is literally two people in the same room. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, I mean, try isolation for a month. Oh, wait Trust a minute. Um, what we're experiencing now. This is, <laughs> this is an interesting, I, I find that the whole, you and I were talking about COVID before this started, but the whole experience with COVID has created a multitude of issues on top of the actual virus. I mean, obviously we have an economic issue that's playing out right now. I wonder how that's actually, how we're going to move things forward. There are some businesses that will die no matter, like they will not survive this. How do you function when you first start a business? I'm just looking at some of the things around here, literally closing their door from like day three of being open. And they're two months down, no revenue, no way to recoup revenue. This is not just small business. I mean, this is going to hit everyone. Everyone. It's going to be hitting for the next year at least. Plus all of, all of the influx of money that's come through government, you know, emergency funds and emergency measures. And then you think, well, that's got to be paid by someone. Oh, wait. <laughs> Hello, taxpayers. <laughs> we will see follow from this in big, well, big ways. Yeah, but well, it's your kids and the... And right. But my biggest thoughts around this are the mental issues I see developing. Yep. Isolation is, can be extremely destructive to who we are by nature. As much as I, I'm an extrovert, yes, but I need my downtime. I love my downtime. Too much of it, though, is unhealthy for me. I don't, it's funny, I say extrovert, but I'm starting to wonder. You're, you're not. <laughs> I don't necessarily recharge with people. I did when I was in my 20s. I did when I was in my 20s. I, I, you know, I'd be so excited to go out and it would feel so great. Now I'm like, holy cow, I really need some downtime. I'd like to meditate for a while. That's my recharge. But it's because when you're in, it was not because you were in your 20s. The, the thing was when you were in your 20s, you had some goals with doing it. 
like you're going out to have a good time you're going out to meet some people you're like you have some had some clear goals at a time which which helped you focus on it okay right? let's but, be serious those were not clear goals those were no but but you had goals <laughs> like you, you yes <laughs> you had wishy-washy goals <laughs> i had wishy-washy goals i had subconscious goals let's go have fun yeah. um <laughs> but 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 the thing is right so you're not necessarily as you're assertive but you're not necessarily extrovert. Those two things are not necessarily the same. So the fact that you can walk up and talk to anyone, yep. that's a question of if you have something you need done, you will do whatever it takes to make it happen. That's right? true from that. So again, that's again your goal drive. It doesn't necessarily mean, like at the same time, when you're talking about a real extrovert, they just love sitting around talking with anyone anywhere for no reason. The thing is, usually when you have conversations with people, you try and get something useful out of them or to learn something or like you don't just want to sit and have a conversation that doesn't interest you. Like if you don't, I don't know if you care about cars, but if you don't care about do, cars, someone, <laughs> you do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I like fast cars. <laughs> um, right. If someone is sitting talking about something, you give absolutely serious shits about right. and they're just talking and talking and talking you can lose focus, right? Very true. And you don't enjoy it because you're, you're not, like for you, it's not just a conversation, but what you like about the conversation is you like meeting smart people. You like meeting people you can learn from. You like meeting people who, you know, you have good conversations with that, that helps you learn. Yeah. Because the, the thing is fundamentally, you're, you have a high IQ, which means you like storing data in your head, right? Like you like information, you like putting stuff in here and the, naturally your personality can keep a lot of stuff in there. And one of the reasons, uh, one of the key things for you, one of your absolutely core strengths is making great decisions. And the reason why you're good at that is because you can keep a lot of data in your head and you can understand how that data relate to each other and how, you know, when you're making big business decisions, you can take a lot of information into account when making them. You talk about the conversations I have. A few years ago, I kind of got to a point where I went, I don't want superficial conversations with anybody anymore. They, they have no value. <laughs> they carry no value. So I don't. Any conversations I engage with people are meaningful. They have depth to them. There's something that I believe when you have a conversation with someone, when you have a meeting with someone, that there should always be value that you're giving them or that you're gaining, but and, really it's always and, a give and, take, uh, right? And, and the reason why you think like that is because you're not an extrovert. <laughs> you, I've never heard someone say that to me. That is really funny because I'd never so, thought of myself sorry. as anything but. Sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bubble burst. I've been questioning over the last, literally over like the last year, probably two years, because I do find um, overstimulation or too much, too much. And I need to recharge. I need that. I need that downtime. Like absolutely need it. It's not even I want it. I need it. And if I don't get it, I feel like I'm in chaos. So the, the same thing, right? When, you, when you're talking, when you meet sort of typical salespeople, like the one who just talk and talk and you tell a story and then they tell the same story, but 20% better. And, and your brain just keeps going bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> and, and, and you're like, 
you're there because your goal is to sell something to the guy, but mm. or girl, but your, your bullshit meter keeps coming off. You're also hating yourself sometimes in those situations, right? Because you're kind of like, oh, right, and then again, and then again, and then again, and stop beating the same horse. So yeah. I also look at sales from this perspective. One, offer everybody the cookie. I always refer to it as the plate of cookies, right? Why am I judging that you don't want that cookie? I have no idea what kind of cookie you like. So I'm just going to offer it to you. If you like it, great. If you don't, that's great too. But I think that a good sales has nothing to do with me convincing you of anything. A good sale is a perfect alignment. It's something you need and I'm offering it to you. And therefore it's a good fit. That's a good sale. And that's a, that's a way sales should be. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm not even thinking of it from an actual sales perspective, but I was more thinking of it when you're talking with one of those people who just constantly love the sound of their own voice, but there's no value behind their words. Or there's no value, sorry, that's, that's a very inaccurate statement. There's not a lot, that's not something you can learn from it. They're basically just talking to talk. Okay, but I'm talking about sales for a second. <laughs> Right. Wouldn't you agree though, for your sales team, mm -hmm. that it's one really important to make sure that they are aligning your clients with the right thing, giving them enough information so that they can make a valid decision on whether yep. or not this fits them. Yeah. So again, I, I would never be successful in any sales role in any business, but I'm very successful in my business because Apparently, I'm very good at what I do. So people buy my stuff. Um, but so basically, the way I, the way I tend to say it is that uh, when I have a sales call, yep. I close around ninety five percent. It's an that's incredibly high ratio. That's because I, I scare away the last five percent. So if I hadn't scared away the last five percent, well, basically, when there's a sales when I'm on a sales call, basically my biggest risk is that I scare people away. And in most cases, I scare away about 5% of the people. But my, my fundamental trigger, I've always been the same. I'm, I've, the reason why I've been successful as a coach is because I've always been very, very picky about picking the right clients. Right. Because I think, I think as a coach, most coaches doing the wrong way around. They, they do the coaching to make money, which is fair. I'm not saying you shouldn't make money, but they're doing the coaching and they pick the clients who have the money instead of picking the clients they can help. So I, uh, I've had, there's a key yeah. principle in here that is absolutely needs to be expressed though. Yep. You can't help those who don't want to do the work. So I'm really choosy with who I work with and I will weed you out in the first five minutes of a conversation with you. I'll know whether or not you're willing to do the work because I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you to do the work. And if you don't yep. follow through with the work, we get nowhere. I don't have success to me. That is a complete fail. And that's a lose-lose situation. I, it doesn't I matter that I got your money. That sucks for me. Yeah. And, and fundamentally, a lot of people don't necessarily look at it like that, right? Because for me, so, so basically, I've had more than 500 clients, and I've never had a client walk away from my coaching unhappy. Now, one of the problems with a lot of business people is they're very perfectionistic about what they're doing. They very much believe that they are doing things the right way. And for, for me, the skills as a coach is really, it's not about telling them what the right solution is because most of the time I don't know. But, but for me, the, the fundamental is 
finding the motivation, exactly as you were saying earlier, finding the motivation, finding what buttons you need to press for them to do what it takes for them to be successful. Does that make sense? Totally does. Right. So that's uh, like the, the thing is I have so many different clients coming to me and um, for, for me, the key thing I look at is if I can find those triggers that will make them do the work. There's definitely people that will come to you and they'll do the work. If you just send them in not even the right direction, if you just sort of hint at the right direction, they'll just go, right? There's clients like that. There's also clients who keep falling because they keep falling over themselves. Right. And it's often people who are very stubborn, who are very, they're often very knowledgeable about what they do. But they, again, they can't see their own mistakes, right? So like for most business owners, like being a consultant is freaking easy. When you go and look at a business from the outside, of like course. that's freaking easy. It right? totally is. <laughs> now, 90% 90, 90 of what you tell other people to do, you probably aren't doing in your own business, right? Uh, because it's easy to see everybody else and not easy to see yourself because you're emotionally attached to your own crap. <laughs> Right, exactly. And, and that is often the reason why people don't actually do what, what you, what, what's the right thing. So like for me, what I'm always very, very focused on, I, I don't really care about the right solution that much because again, generally many things can create a good result, right? But it's much more about going through the process of motivating them to see the next steps, to see for them to... For, to develop the solution because the problem is if I tell like if you're in that situation if you're in a business that's sinking and you're desperate yeah if I tell you the right solution you will say things like oh I've tried that before it didn't work you know I've uh, you, you give all these excuses right but if I help you come up with that solution and you believe you believe in it right you're then excited. you will implement Right. And, and the whole point is that it's not about the right solution. Yeah. It's about the motivation. It's the motivation and the work behind it. Right. And I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> yep. Except it's not daytime there for you. It's probably nighttime. Yes. Yeah. What 10, time is it? 11, nearly 11. <laughs> it's bedtime for you. And it's 11 o'clock. No, it's 10. It's 10 o'clock my time. AM. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for all this juicy, amazing information that we've shared today. You are extremely welcome. Um, anytime you'd like to be on the show, let me know. We can talk about other things. <laughs> yep. We can talk about other I'm things. Sure. It seems today we just talked a lot about profiling personalities being able to recognize these traits in people and how to use their strengths to the strength of the company or organization instead of um, playing to weaknesses. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for your contribution today. You are very welcome. That was uh, an amazing conversation. <laughs> so my beautiful peeps, that concludes today's episode. Next week, we have another great guest on who is talking about finance for business. It's a really interesting episode, and it 
not only talks about how to get some financing and what financing is available, but also the mindset around small business owners to medium and large size business owners. Very, very fascinating stuff. Cannot wait to share it with you. Until next week, my beautiful souls, if you find yourself lost, if you find yourself spinning in circles, if you find that your life is not giving you what you expected, or if you're asking yourself, is this all there is? Come contact us at Fear It Goes because we help you find your deeper meaning. We help you find your inner superhero. And like the Jedi, we help you find the force within you that gives you the strength and power and clear up the dark force from within you so that your light really shines in this beautiful world. Until next week, beautiful souls. Ah, cannot wait. Have an absolutely extraordinary week. <laughs>